0: the ability to ask questions is so vital to the ability to think of stuff.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing or, as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So last week, Andrew... We had a conversation about literature, and specifically, we talked about how you had led a group of students in just discussing literature. As far as I know, there wasn't any writing assignments connected with this course. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I just wanted to read some great books together with some teenagers and right. try to have a very relaxed environment mm-hmm. where they would not feel a lot of academic, mm-hmm. you know, or added schoolwork pressure, other than just. Keep, keeping up with the reading, which in this day and age can be hard itself.
1: Well, and yes, at, speaking of that, during this during the podcast, I came up with this brilliant idea. I thought it was brilliant at the time, but I realized what I was doing when I had to read the story. So I said, hey, let's do that. Let's, let's have an opportunity where you can demonstrate how to lead this conversation and I'll be the guinea pig and we'll read The Devil and Daniel Webster. And well, guess what? I had to go out and read. Well, the devil and and How much time there? did that take you? Not long. Yeah. It's a short story.
0: It was easier to get you to read that than it would be to get a room full of teens to knock off the first four chapters of Tale of Two Cities.
1: Oh, my word. Yes. <laughs> I can sure. I, I'm sure that's true.
0: <laughs> but I do think short stories are ideal mm-hmm. uh, for beginning this. Of course, Adam Andrews, he actually recommends you start with children's books mm-hmm. for even. Older kids and, and adults, mm-hmm. and um, in his seminar teaching the classics. When I first saw it, uh, that's what he did. He pulled out some children's books, and we had a fascinating conversation about <laughs> "Make Way for Ducklings," if I recall. <laughs> um, a
1: bargain for Francis, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and then of course, you know, when we created the video with him originally, when mm. he redid it, uh, we had to be careful of using currently under-copyright materials. Oh, right, so of course, yeah. The the children's book kind of went by the wayside. But I like the selections we chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with kids, you know, like I said, get them to read a short story, that's possible. Mm-hmm. Get them to read one-eighth of a 400-page book, that's tough.
1: Yeah, it is, especially when the first sentence is probably longer than and has higher-level vocabulary than they had probably encountered in a long time. Yeah, well,
0: lives. there there are some kids you know, like that. But, you know, how do you help everyone just initially just gain any value out of the experience of reading the story? Right. Because a lot of conversations start off like this. So, Julie, you read The Devil and Daniel Webster.
1: I did. Yeah. What do you think? I liked it. You did? Mm-hmm. I thought it was good.
0: You did. What w- What did you like about it?
1: Well, it was interesting.
0: It was interesting. And... <laughs> What benefits do you feel that story had, really, for you, Hmm. either while you were reading it or after the fact?
1: I guess I just like the story. Okay, well, that was a great (laughs) conversation, (laughs) and
0: I suppose we can all uh, wrap up this podcast. But I think our listeners, whether they're working with their kids at home or teaching in a classroom of some sort somewhere, have had that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that... um, you know, I have always been interested in trying to do is figure out how the ability to ask questions is so vital to the ability to think of stuff.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: And find out why do you like this story? Mm -hmm. You yourself may not really know. You just have that overall, it was good. Mm -hmm. So I assume that's what you would like to do today. Yes. Is ask some questions that Reveal a bit yes. about why this is such a good story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, some of our listeners, like Andrew Poudou, I just used a banned word, good.
1: Can we just do a little spiderweb here? And can you talk about good is not banned when you're speaking only in writing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are many children who have um, challenged parents on that. You just said a banned word. Well, you just did too. <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> What's the whole purpose of banned words in our writing program? And this is a little off topic, but it's to help sensitize children to options when it comes to vocabulary. So we, for a limited period of time, make certain words, you know, not available or illegal. Not because there's never a case ever in the future where that word would be the perfect or appropriate one. Mm -hmm. It's because if we don't do something – then that's the default. And so rather than good, what what words are there that might add to, you know, the image or the feeling that we're trying to convey in writing? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with, the you know, the verbs. So what's very important, though, is for people to realize this is not an end in itself. Mm-hmm. This is a part of the process. And what we discover is after kids have, you know, worked with banned words and suffered having to do that for a year or two, they very often reach a point where it becomes moot because while they they could use a word like good or said or went, their first reaction is to say, "Is there a better option?"
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: And then they can choose if they have resources or remember. But if if a student comes to the point and says, "No, good is actually the best word <laughs> of all the possibilities," right? well, then stick with it. Yep. And uh, I think that's one misunderstanding. In fact, uh, I received a letter some time ago from a published author Mm. uh, who writes beautiful children's books. In Mm -hmm. fact, I own some of them Mm. uh, purchased for my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. And she uh, had students who'd been through IEW and had said something like, well, then C.S. Lewis and and J.R.R. Tolkien – must not be good writers because they use band words <laughs> and you know she hadn't been through our program, mm-hmm. of course she didn't know enough about it to mm-hmm. realize that you no know, that that's not the purpose at all it's mm-hmm. completely different. Mm-hmm. The purpose is to say okay that's that's what I want to say. Are there options mm-hmm. and of course Lewis and Tolkien had all the options they needed, <laughs> certainly and if they settled on said mm-hmm. or good, I respect that. Very highly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we don't want children to misunderstand. It's like a game. It's mm-hmm. like running with weights, mm-hmm. right? You don't mm-hmm. run weights when you go race in the Olympics. You run with the weights so that when you do the Olympics, mm-hmm. you've been through that. Mm-hmm. Bandwords, same thing.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So I think we've procrastinated along it enough. Okay, so
0: you're on the spot because you read the story. I did read the story.
1: I'm the answerer and you're the questioner. But actually, even as as I'm saying that, I'm not dreading this at all. I know that what you're going to ask me, they're not right or wrong answers necessarily. It's just pulling from the text what I read and we're just going to have a conversation. And that's very relaxing. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to this.
0: I mean, there might be a wrong answer.
1: Oh, I suppose there would be. I'll let you yeah. know. Okay, I'll let you, yeah, let me know.
0: <laughs> well, um, we're loosely following Adam Andrews' Teaching the Classics guide, mm-hmm. and for that, he divides the analysis process into several parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's setting, there's characters, there's conflict, there's plot, and I've always been a little fuzzy on the difference between conflict and plot because we tend to use those words simultaneously Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, and helping kids get that. But, you know, the conflict is the seed, the problem, and then the plot is everything that happens to solve that problem. Right.
1: So in our writing system, we don't really – we generally don't use the term plot. We
0: generally don't because our Unit 3 model is very short Mm -hmm. and – I may use it in conversation mm-hmm. and say, so basically the plot mm-hmm. is this conversation that happens between these two characters, which causes one of the characters to change and that solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with longer stories, uh, you know, it's very helpful to evaluate the steps mm-hmm. by which you get from problem to solution. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, one of my favorites is literary devices, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because that's what we teach mm-hmm. is style. Mm-hmm. And there are questions about theme, mm-hmm. which is different than either mm-hmm. the plot or, or the conflict. The conflict. Yeah. Uh, and then we can finish up with some contextual questions. Mm-hmm. But to get to all these questions would take us way more time than we have. So exactly. So we're going to hit the basics mm-hmm. and refer people to the full opportunity to learn all about these questions and using them. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Where does this story happen?
1: The story happens in New Hampshire. It's it's mentioned many times about Daniel Webster being a proud New Hampshirean and the other character Stone, who is from New Hampshire and that's why he felt he could appeal to Daniel Daniel Webster because they lived in New Hampshire. I see.
0: The only thing I know about New Hampshire is it's very small and their motto is live free or die. Oh okay. is that right?
1: I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Don't know. Sorry, all you New Hampshireans. We don't know the motto of your state, but I think that's probably right.
0: Well, it's a good one.
1: Yeah, it is a good one. Yeah. Live free or die. It's a border state of Massachusetts, Massachusetts. which I lived in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Um, for a year or so. And then also, I think, Vermont.
0: Did this story, when, it ha- when this happened, obviously, it was during the time of Daniel Webster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every word of this story, I'm sure, is absolutely historically accurate. <laughs> uh, but uh, was this kind of in the country or the city?
1: Definitely country. Our main character, Jabez Stone, lived on a farm. He was a farmer. Okay. So it was definitely country. Is, is,
0: there, is that important at all? to the story? Oh,
1: definitely. Why? Well, because of all the trouble that Jabez had with his crops not flourishing, with his animals dying, with just, it was just like one thing after another. But it was, it seemed like it was a small enough community. There was other people around that, you know, well, later on in the story, they think more highly of Jabez Stone and want to make him politician.
0: Oh, so there's a there's a village, mm-hmm. uh, town.
1: It's not that. ever mentioned, but it's alluded to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. In terms of
0: any other thing about the setting, mm-hmm. did you notice anything symbolic? Was, was there any thing or item or place or building or image the author created that you would say, ha-ha, that might mean something else?
1: Well, I don't know if it was necessarily symbolic, but they were certainly very proud of how beautiful their land was toward the end when Daniel Webster is having an argument with the devil. He basically goes into this, uh, the freshness of a fine morning when you're young and the taste of food when you're hungry and the new day that's every day when you're a child. And then he talks about the scenery and it's all just beautiful. And Mm. so, yeah, just very earthy and, you know, real
0: Okay. And and that was part of what Daniel Webster was arguing against the devil.
1: Mhm. All right. Yeah, so he was appealing to the devil to say, you know, Jabez is just an ordinary man who just had bad luck. Mhm. But he like all of us want these simple things in life that I just like pretty much every farmer ever. Yeah, right exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so so people with an agrarian background Mm -hmm. could commiserate a bit. Well, uh, we know it's happening during the life of Daniel Webster, which Mm -hmm. would have been in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's pretty straightforward. Um, How long of a period of time does this story cover, would you estimate?
1: Uh, Well, almost exactly 10 years. 10 years? Yes, because uh, Jabez is... Out in his field, and his horse is sick, and his plants are dying, and two of his children are sick with the measles, or something something along that line. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning, and that's where he makes a statement. So Jabez says, early on in the story, I vow it's enough to make a man want to sell his soul to the devil. Ah. And he says, and I would too, for two cents. But then he says... Then, then the author says, then he felt a kind of queerness come over him at having said what he'd said, though naturally, being a New Hampshire man, he wouldn't take it back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, two cents was worth a bit more, yeah, hundred yeah. and some years ago, yeah, uh, but still probably not enough to solve all his problems.
1: Right, right. And uh, this idea of him being a New Hampshire man, and therefore he wouldn't take it back, just made me think of states and their reputations you know mm. i was born and raised in minnesota and there's an expression in minnesota minnesota nice uh. do you know that people in minnesota generally i'm speaking generally of course don't honk their horns they're just nice people hmm. if you're stuck in traffic and you're in minnesota they're probably not going to honk their horn at you which it's, is very different from california right you move to <laughs> southern california yeah. if you don't honk
0: you you get <laughs> run over yes
1: exactly or the Missouri, the Show Me State, like mm-hmm. you know, a little bit skeptical.
0: So, do these states have these reputations? So, kind of wrapping up that setting. Did did the author's description cause you to think I'd like to go visit that place someday, or was it kind of like, no, nah, it's just not really super attractive?
1: Uh, no, I I don't think I had an opinion either way. Okay,
0: well, I did. Um, I did go to New Hampshire. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. But I didn't get out of my car. I uh-huh. just drove straight through to wherever I was going. So uh,
1: it's kind of a pass through, a flyover state, perhaps. Yeah. That's what they call Oklahoma, a flyover state. <laughs> but they still get their two senators.
0: <laughs> so tell me about a little more about Jabez. Mm-hmm. Was he old? Was he not old? How did you picture him? Maybe from yeah. the, from the author's description.
1: I would say that family man, meaning he still had kids at home and and he was just working the land. And I, I pictured him as a, I guess, stereotypical farmer, but maybe that's my idea of stereotypical farmer is my childhood friend of my parents who was a farmer and, you know, just determined. Um, he wasn't old, but, you know, he was, his skin was weather beaten. And so I had in my mind, you know, this family friend as the farmer. You know, mm-hmm. that's what he was like.
0: So he was one of the three main characters. Right. And he had a family, but they're very peripheral. Yes. They're just side suffering.
1: Well, and, you know, his he was definitely dedicated to his family. So mm-hmm. definitely the family man, you know, he had his share of troubles, you know, I also thought of the story of Job from the Bible.
0: I was just going to ask mm-hmm. that. Um, I will bet a lot of people mm-hmm. would flash, if they're familiar with the story of Job.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, would flash on, wow, here's a basically good guy who's just suffering for no apparent reasons. Right, exactly. Job had a slight
1: advantage, would you say? Because, like, God talked to him? Well, this is true, kind of at the end of the story, yeah. but he also got some really bad advice from lots of his friends. Yeah. And he got some bad advice from his wife, and we don't hear that in this story. Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Jabez's wife never – well, at least we don't know that she said that in this story.
0: Yeah, I I do have to tell you an interesting word study problem Mm -hmm. about that because everyone quotes curse God and die, which does not make any sense at all. Right. If you're going to die, the last thing to curse God, this is not logical. (laughs) Okay. Even just from a, you know, a a Pascalian wager Hmm. view, it's not smart. A little different than what Voltaire said when the priest came and asked him, you know, do you disavow Mm -hmm. Satan and all his works? Mm -hmm. Kind of a deathbed thing. Mm -hmm. And Voltaire is reputed to have said, now is not a good time to make enemies.
1: Oh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Mm. uh, so we, we have this kind of. Jobish situation. Mm-hmm, right. God talks to Job, other people give him bad advice. But this conversation with the devil, mm-hmm. how does that come to happen?
1: So, of course, you know. He says
0: that silly thing.
1: Yes. And the next day, this is how, you know, the original question was what was a span of time? It mm-hmm. was 10 years. The next day, the devil comes by a soft spoken, dark dressed stranger drove up in a handsome buggy and asked for Jabez Stone. And, you know, well, Jabez told his family it was a lawyer. Mm. And I put in my notes in the margin here. Oh, did he lie to his family? Well, later on in the story, you find out that this stranger actually was a lawyer. So uh, there we go. The devil can be anything to anyone. I too. suppose. <laughs> I suppose. And it it was so frightening to even the family dog ran away mm. when he saw the stranger. So there was
0: kind of this portrayal of this permeating evil, this aura right. of yeah. evil. What else did the author do to create that?
1: Um, he said that he had white teeth and plentiful, and he says, and some say they were filed to a point, <laughs> which means the author couldn't verify that himself. Mm. But the the whole part of Jabez selling his soul to the devil is very quick. It's only a very short paragraph where after the dog ran away, they went out to the barn. He pricked his finger with a silver needle that the stranger had provided to him, which left a scar and signed it in blood. The wound healed clean, but it left a little white scar. And then mm-hmm. we hear about that scar later. And then after that, all of a sudden, things picked up. So mm. that was it. There was no conversation. It was like, yep, I'm here. Yep.
0: So initially, you would say the problem is Jabez is suffering. Mm-hmm. Only that's not the problem of no. this story. That's that's not the real conflict. What What is the conflict and when does that happen mm-hmm. in the story?
1: Well, so – Pretty Much on that same page, so not too much later, it becomes apparent that this contract is up in seven years. And Jabez, through the first six years, is a little nervous, but the set this, but every year the stranger drives by oh, in his buggy, there's and a kind reminder, of a reminder, and, yeah, yeah, a refrain the, of yes, the evil. Mm-hmm. And the sixth year he comes by, and now Jabez is getting really nervous, and he says, Um. There's, a, there's an allusion again to this New Hampshire man. The stranger came up through the lower field switching, switching his boots with a cane. So he's walking up to the door and says, hey, looks like you've got a very pretty property here, Mr. Stone, which of course has been getting prettier and prettier all mm, these years. Because he's been getting richer and richer and mm-hmm. everyone and, likes him more and more. Well, sure. They want to make a mayor and, you know, um, so. His kids are grown now. Oh, well or, it's only 6 years later oh, six so years. Okay. could be you know could be then Jabez when he says it's a pretty very pretty property here he says well some might favor it and others may not said Jabez for he was a new hampshire man so somehow you know being a little bit vague was uh, i
0: see so so we would gather that this new hampshire man at least at that time period had a reputation for being kind of non committal Mm -hmm. or just hedging everything. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Don't like to be wrong.
1: Exactly. I think that's it. Yes. Yeah. So so the the white tooth strangers, what the author calls him. So when the mortgage falls due next year, you shouldn't have any regrets. So he's got one year left. Mm. And essentially, not exactly sure how this happened, Jabez talks the devil into giving him an stay of execution. So he gets three more years. Three more years. So that's a total of 10 years. Okay. And then um, things get really exciting later. Oh, this was a really important point. When he's sitting there having this conversation, year six, this little thing flutters up into the air that kind of looks like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. And it says, he says, neighbor stone, neighbor stone, help me for God's sake, help me. The butterfly thing says yes. The butterfly thing says, yes. But before Jabez Stone could stir hand or foot, the stranger whipped up a big bandana handkerchief, caught the creature in it just like a butterfly, and started tying up the ends of the bandana. Sorry for the interruption, he said. As I was saying, but Jabez Stone was shaking all over like a scared horse. You talk about literary devices. Mm. Got a little simile going there, okay. right? Shaking like a scared horse? That's like. Mr. Stevens' voice, he said in a croak. And you've got him in your handkerchief. The stranger looked a little embarrassed. He says, it couldn't have been. I just saw him Tuesday night. <sighs> and then you hear the church bell toll. Mm the liar and his lies huh? the mr stevens had and
0: died so so that was obviously okay his soul right that this devil had gone out and negotiated with other people.
1: Yes, yeah, oh yeah. There's a whole list of names as he's looking through the contract to find Jabez Stone's oh. name. There's all these s's that he goes through, and it's like, oh no, here it is. It's all in order. Oh, you so think. he's got a lot of business here. That's what I'm thinking. Oh Ooh, my, yeah.
0: That's not just a Job or a, a Faustus. That's <laughs> that's an epidemic of
1: <laughs> yeah. selling your soul. <laughs> yes,
0: of course. I don't know. You, you. It met, well, what does that make you think about? The fact that there's this long list of people who've made a deal with the devil.
1: And Jabez had no idea that his neighbor was one of those guys. And perhaps he was comparing his own life of uh, being miserable and full of suffering as, you know, put that against someone else who was living a wonderful life, but maybe not so much because he was living with this fear that someday the devil's going to come and get him too. So Mm -hmm. I know.
0: Well, that we can save the extension of that for theme. We okay. do need to ask about Daniel Webster.
1: Oh, sure. Like,
0: who is Daniel? Everybody knows his name. Yes. And there's probably a lot of tall tales.
1: Well, exactly. He's kind of
0: a Davy Crockett kind of – he existed Bunyan, he lived yeah. and died. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. had jobs that we can verify. Mm-hmm. But there's also these crazy stories that people made up uh, because they probably loved Davy Crockett and Daniel Webster and the like. But uh, how does how does Daniel Webster come into this story?
1: Well, the story actually starts with what you're describing, the legend of Daniel Webster. And, you know, uh, Daniel Webster's dead, or at least they buried him. But every time there's a thunderstorm. So there's kind of this, ooh, who's this Daniel Webster dude? And, and then you hear um, about how when he goes walked the woods with his fishing rod, the trout would jump out of the streams right into his pockets for they knew it was no use putting up a fight against him. So this idea of him being... That reminds me
0: very specifically of a recent story I read about Davy Crockett.
1: Yes. Yeah. So Daniel Webster had died at the time this story was written? No, no, no no, written? no, no, no. No, no, no. This is just kind of a flashback and now this is what really happened in real life and he is a a notable lawyer who... He thinks that maybe someday he'll be president, mm-hmm. and but he's a New Hampshire man. And oh. that's why Jabez Stone feels that like he can go talk to him because he's thinking, man, I don't have much time left. And it was actually on the eve of the day that the devil was coming to take his soul that he appealed to Daniel Webster, who agreed to take his case because he was a New Hampshire man. Ah, That so would be a good reason to move to New Hampshire. New Hampshire man. And
0: women, I would assume, mm-hmm. are non committal, but once they do face a challenge, they go 100%.
1: Fiercely loyal to each other. Yes. I wonder
0: if the author
1: lived in New Hampshire. I don't believe he did. Well, at least I know Stephen Vincent Benet was born in Pennsylvania and died in New York City. But well, he
0: would have had to pass through on the way, maybe. <laughs> Another know, drive, yeah. fly over a yeah. yes. And he died when? The author. You have notes there.
1: Yeah. March 13th,
0: 1943. 43. So it it probably is in the very early 1900s rather than the 1800s that it was written, though it was set during Daniel Webster's life.
1: Yeah. Actually, The Devil and Daniel Webster was written in 1936. 36. Okay. Did you feel
0: inspired to learn more about Daniel Webster? Yes, absolutely. As a result of reading this? Yes,
1: absolutely. Partly because at the end of the whole story, and, you know, this is where, sorry, reader, I'm going to give it away. Well,
0: hey, that's fine. Uh, turn off now if you never read the story if you and never you want read the to story. have the suspense. But right. we'll tell you the ending anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jabez bites the dust and his soul goes to heaven. No,
1: that's not what no, happens. Oh no. So the ju- so there's a jury that comes in. Basically, Daniel Webster appeals to the devil and says, you know, this we need to bring this to the courts. We need to have a jury. And even though at first Daniel Webster somewhat accuses the devil of not being American, he goes into this whole story of why he actually is American and perhaps – The
0: devil explains? Yeah, yeah, that
1: the devil is actually American. So they have a jury of peers and – I mean, I don't know, peers, but a lot of these men are – all of them are dead. Well,
0: I remember the jury
1: was pretty hostile. Uh, yes, very much because so. Because
0: they were all – Basically souls the devil had taken Mm. one way or another.
1: Well, and the judge was most notable in that he was the judge that proceeded over the Salem witch trials. So this was definitely the hanging judge. But this is what the judge says after Daniel Webster makes his final appeal about why Jabez should be allowed to go. And he's not just talking about. Jabez, he's talking about all of humanity. Mm -hmm. And it was basically because he had hard luck and yet he, you know, wanted to do good. But here's what the jury said. Here's what the the judge says. Perhaps tis not strictly in accordance with the evidence, he said, but even the damned may salute the eloquence of Mr. Webster. (laughs) So there you go. Public speaking don't the, underestimate the power the, of it.
0: The evidence versus the eloquence. That's, right. That's very clever. So
1: after after he was, you know, basically Jabez was uh, released, now it's like what kind of punishment is the devil going to get? And um, Daniel Webster shows mercy to him. The stranger – says, thank you so much. I'm going to tell your fortune. And this is the part where I thought, I want to learn more about Daniel Webster, hmm. because he looks into his hand and finds This out- is the
0: devil looking at the palm of Daniel Webster. Yes. So okay.
1: fortune telling is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, uh, the future's not as you think it. It's dark. You have great ambition, Mr. Webster. And he says, I have. For everybody knew he wanted to be president. And he says, it seems almost within your grasp, said the stranger, but you will not attain it. Lesser men will be made president and you will be passed over. Hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm I'm interested to see what time period that was. Yeah. Well, and the author had
0: written this after. Correct. So he was reflecting on what he knew of Daniel Webster. Yeah, and,
1: and, And a very sad thing, he says, is you will have two strong sons, said the stranger, shaking his head. You looked... To found a line, but each will die in war and neither reach greatness. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, well, let's define success. You yeah. know, is it because he was establishing a line of great Websters? We know some Websters, don't we? We do, yeah. <laughs> but um, I would say that, you know, having some sons- So there
0: could be a secondary theme mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. comes out at the end. One, obviously the big theme is would you – make a deal to make your life easier, even if in the long run, it was damaging. And in this case, eternally damaging. I mean, haven't we all been tempted that way? Mm -hmm. To say, you know, just let this go. I Mm -hmm. mean, you think of the stories along the theme. It's it's almost um, the magic thread idea too, where you can pull the thread and avoid the unpleasant moments of life, but pretty soon the thread's all gone and you're old and you didn't have a life. Yeah. Uh, So Definitely something, you know, that's deep in the zone of possible human temptations. Exactly. But this other theme is interesting because it may be a slight commentary, as you said. I like how you put that. Define success. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the the ancient pagans, immortality was achieved by reputation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was more important to die valorous and Mm well-known and young Mm -hmm. than to live a long life, die old, and nobody knows you. Mm -hmm. That that was the ancient, kind of the ancient Greek Mm -hmm. ideal during a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with the advent of the, you know, Judeo-Christian tradition Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. an afterlife, Mm -hmm. uh, that, of course, you know, everyone in this period of time would have been very much thinking Mm -hmm. about the condition of... Mm -hmm the soul after mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I like stories that contemplate death. Yes. Um, <laughs> I know you do. But uh, in this one no one actually dies in the story, is that correct? Correct. And then and the devil, so what happens at the very end? Because we have to wrap this yep. conversation up. We have next period is math. <laughs> uh, but um,
1: thanks heavens he's kidding. <laughs>
0: what what happens at the very end?
1: Yeah, this is, this is pretty funny. There was a statement that – so he's going through this whole thing of telling him his fortune. And one of the last things he says is, uh, after you are dead, there are thousands who will fight for your cause because of words that you spoke, hmm. which sounds very much flattery. And then – and Daniel Webster totally calls him on and says, why then, you long-barreled, slab-sided, lantern-jawed, fortune-telling note-shaver – Said Daniel Webster with a great roar of laughter. Be off with you to your own place before I put my mark on you. For by the 13 original collies, I'd go to the pit itself to save the Union. (laughs) Oh. Ah. So it sounds like he'd be willing. Oh, and then they have to finish the jug that's sitting on the desk because right. no New Hampshire man leaves a jug unfinished. Unfinished. <laughs> I don't know if that was New Hampshire or Daniel Webster, but there was definitely. Well, that part and it, of it.
0: could. It could be that Stephen Vincent Benet's opinion of New Hampshire was mixed. Mm, could be. Yeah. So, as a non-New Hampshire man, there were certain things he respected and some things yeah. he didn't. Yeah. But it's interesting. Back in those days, people were much more aware of the colonies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the you know the autonomy, yeah. the the character of colonies mm-hmm. was. You know that became the original thirteen states, as right. you mentioned. Right. I don't think we see that as much today, do we?
1: We just cross over to Texas, here yeah. in Oklahoma, or to Arkansas, with, with with hardly a thought of, oh, we're in a different
0: land. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you you get a little bit of mm-hmm. that feeling, but mm-hmm. nothing like it was, you mm-hmm. know, back in the colonial and pre you know pre modern period mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, you would recommend this story?
1: I would recommend it. For whom? For anyone who is probably junior high, might be a little bit young to get as much out of it as I did, but certainly high school and older, Mm -hmm. this would be a really fun story to read and have a conversation about. I just hope I don't have to do what the kids did in the structure and style for students level C, which is write a response to literature Uh, about this. (laughs) That would be
0: the next step. Can you read that insult one more time? Sure. Because I, I think it's handy to collect up uh, <laughs> insults that don't contain offensive vocabulary. <laughs> and I it was long-barreled was the first part. <laughs> right there, I'm kind of baffled. But yeah. go read it again. I like it.
1: Why then, you long-barreled, slab-sided, lantern-jawed, fortune-telling note-shaver.
0: Long-barreled, slab-sided, lantern-jawed.
1: Fortune telling, fortune telling, note shaver,
0: note shaver.
1: I don't even know what a note shaver is. That
0: reminds me of uh, there's several websites you can go to, and they'll have the <laughs> yeah. like the Shakespearean insult generator, and yeah. you can get all these words you don't know what they mean, and you stick them together, and yeah. you've got to... a <laughs> good. Well, that's kind of been fun. I um, I'm grateful that you took the time to read the story. And I'm grateful that your questions weren't too hard. No, no. And uh, next assignment is, of course, Anna Karenina, the greatest (laughs) novel ever written. (laughs) Well, I hope uh, listeners have enjoyed this uh, little diversion from our normal fare.
1: Yeah, I think so. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.